how we do HWD. Ladies and gentlemen, this is the most important podcast of your life. Get it. Strap in. Because we're going to talk about everything. All Ups and downs, ins and outs. We all got them. All the great people I've crossed paths with. So I'm going to bring them to you on this podcast. And I can't we're wait. We're going to talk about all the things that bring us together. People. The hardships. The love. Yeah. Typical times that made us who we are. Bring us together. And how we're giving back. Got to give back. It's an important conversation. It's in it together. How we do it. How you Top of the morning, gang. How we doing? I tell you, that's uh, some of the best music that just sets a mood for me. I hope it's setting the mood for you guys. That's uh, Moon Boot Lover and one of the best bands that I discovered while I was in college out at Plymouth State College in uh, a little town called Plymouth, New Hampshire. And that is where I met our next guest, Jennifer Beck Ferber. And we were in the same writing classes. We played chess together. We were good friends. And she is somebody who is so fantastic right now mother of three married to a great guy but she's created a community for writers and musicians to continue that uh, community that she had in college and was lacking in life and it's just a great story it should inspire you guys to jump out there and put yourself on the line and create that community you guys want to be a part of because uh I don't know. That's what life's about. We're only here for so many ticks, right? Appreciate everybody out there listening to us on iTunes, Anchor FM, Spotify. Hey, you know, you can email us at hwdwek at gmail. Love to hear from you. Any questions? And without further ado, Jennifer Beck Ferber. Enjoy. All right, well, my next guest here is uh, one of my favorite people in the world. She is, without question, in our class of college writers. The best writer that uh, was in our class. Everybody shook in fear when she was around us. Uh, she was at a poetry slam. We did not want to follow her because uh, it was going to be a tough follow. But right now, her life has taken her all the way to a small island in the Pacific Northwest, all the way from New Hampshire. And uh, we're going to get all into the details of her life, and uh, she's a good friend. So her name is Jennifer Beck Ferber. And without further ado, Jennifer, how are we doing? Hi. Good. Good. So it's been a long time. You know, we met uh, in college at Plymouth State College in New Hampshire, and uh, that's really where we picked up a friendship. And I think it's interesting when we meet people in college, some of the longest impacts that uh, people have on us are kind of post high school and we're kind of figuring out who we are and who we want to hang around with. And uh, I've loved to see your life's journey. So let's talk about when we first met in college. What do you first remember from our first meeting? Um, you water skied. <laughs> you are from Wisconsin, which seemed really far out west. Uh, yes. Because I hadn't been, and we started playing chess. Mm -hmm. I played badly. You played well. Yeah, yeah. So <laughs> I, I, I didn't want to humiliate you by any means. I didn't want to pull out the scorecard. But do you happen to remember if I was in triple digits of wins, or was I just in double digits? Oh, know. probably triple. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just kidding. I, you know, that was uh, what I remember from you. I remember number one, your smile. You were always one of the cheeriest people in the group, but. To meet somebody in a place that was so foreign to me, because um, New Hampshire, I literally went out there on a whim. 
and to meet somebody like you and to play chess with and to at that time smoke American cigarettes and drink coffee and sit at the Poets Cafe and uh, have conversations. It was a it was a lifestyle I wasn't anything accustomed to, but always kind of really enjoyed and appreciated that time that we had. And you're very you were a very good writer. I knew that from being in class with you right away. So uh, that's I wasn't your friend. <laughs> that's very nice. Yeah, I think um, anytime you have uh, people that have. I don't know. I think I'm, now I'm 47 years old. I've kind of been able to go through life and uh, digest a little bit of the roots and trauma, uh, traumatic roots of some things, and, and and work through those. and And that's interesting when I think about somebody like you, because your childhood was very unlike many people's out there. Let's start there. Let's talk about your childhood and where you grew up. Um, well, I spent most of my time in suburban, like wealthy, old colonial Longmeadow, Massachusetts, mm -hmm. um, which seems so far from where I am now. And we spent every summer sailing around Long Island Sound. And for a short time when I was little, we lived on a wooden sailboat in the Bahamas and, um, caught rainwater for drinking water, ate lobster every night, <laughs> just hiked around deserted islands that are probably all built up now um, with just iguanas mostly <laughs> and snorkeled. And yeah, so I definitely think that that early connection to the ocean led me to live on the island I live on now. Yeah. So because it doesn't like we have winters, but we don't really have severe winters no like 50 below new hampshire winter yeah um, it's about 30 for like a week maybe below that so mm -hmm. you can go to the beach all the time so yeah that makes me happy. yeah i remember just coming from wisconsin you know our snowstorms we would have a two-day snowstorm where you get 12 16 inches but uh, i remember going to bed at night and this was you know well after dark and it was grass outside of our window and woke up in the morning, there was 14 inches of snow. I had no idea really what that kind of snow was like. I had to walk everywhere because the streets had like this much ice. Oh, and it was, it was and crazy. And be like 55 below. And they'd mm -hmm. say like, victory cover up on the way to class. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so cold. Yeah. So being from Massachusetts, why New Hampshire? Why'd you, why'd you head up to New Hampshire? What drew you uh, to that college? It's a small, let's let everybody know. Plymouth State College, now Plymouth State University. Maybe 2,500 people at that time, maybe 1,000, you know, that were living off campus. Um, why did you select that school? Well, my daughter's going to be, my oldest daughter's going to be a junior next year. And so we've talked a lot about colleges. Mm -hmm. And I applied to probably 15 and got rejected from one. And when I went up to Plymouth, it was sunny. It was fall. Um, people had just started decorating for Halloween, which is my favorite holiday. Everybody was in the quad playing Frisbee. I met Dr. Regalis and he had a Grateful Dead tie on. And I thought that was just about <laughs> the coolest thing. And then we went on a tour of Frost Hall, which was where Robert Frost taught poetry. Mm -hmm. And um, I had been on the ski team and I, there are so many ski areas that you could ski for like $3 or something. Yeah. ID. Amazing. 
And that was it. Like, you know, I could have gone to the University of Rhode Island and been on the sailing team and gone to, I don't know, Syracuse and majored in journalism. Um, but New Hampshire just felt perfect. The day that I visited, it was, it was gorgeous. And yeah. so I was hooked. That's why I chose that one. And it was small, which was nice too. Like I remember like eight people in our classes, which is crazy. Yeah. Yeah. That was great. So I went to school at University of Wisconsin Oshkosh and uh, Megan Kronzer was a uh, girl from our town and a good friend and her family. They had sent me out to drive back from her semester at Plymouth uh, oh. with her as she finished. And I got there late at night and woke up in her dorm um, right next to the rounds. I don't know what that dorm was called, but I woke up and she had already been to class and her, her roommate was gone. And I was looking out the window and there was this two mountains you're looking out the clock tower you know and, and you're looking at these mountains and i was like what in the heck am i doing here and it was that day that i walked around and got a cup of coffee green mountain coffee i'd never had before and then ended up i walked into the admissions office and started chatting the people up because you know i had nothing to do for a few hours they're taking finals and then i uh the the one lady said well here's the application and then i took the application and filled it out in the rounds you know hanging outside there and I think uh I met you during that because i think i asked you like do you go here and you're like no not yet mm -hmm. and then you were gone and then you came back yeah I, you came back, yeah I, I just i knew i was coming back to that school because like you said it was small i, I always thought my life was so this is kind of part of this whole podcast is kind of the direction that you're at in life right now i have i mean i am in a place right now in life i had no idea i would be I always thought my life was going to be back in northern Wisconsin, working at my parents' business, handling boats, you know, working the summers all, all you know, all summer and having the cold winters off to sit and ponder uh, how much this cabin fever is going to affect us this year till we have to go to Florida or Mexico or something. Why I got went to Plymouth, it, the decision was so easy. That morning that I woke up and got the application, I felt like, number one, this is where I felt real comfortable. I like big open spaces. Um there was a river that ran through the town. It was gorgeous, but Me. yeah, and it, but it was so small and that's what I really, I thought I was going to learn something that I wanted to learn because I thought I was going to end up in Northern Wisconsin. I wanted to study something that I was really passionate about, which was, I loved writing and, and Robert Frost Hall there was a, a big thing. I, th I think he only taught there for a year or two, but it was still enough of lore that it was, it, it just seemed like a perfect fit. So yeah, yeah it was amazing. Yeah. So college there, how did the changes that you've gone through in life since college, when you left Plymouth, you moved to Montana? Well, I was on my way to Steamboat Springs, Colorado to be a ski bum and a journalist. <laughs> Stopped in a small town in Montana. And the very first night I met my husband. Um, I never told him I was on my way to Colorado. Um, cause my friend from high school was living there and her boyfriend was, that was his best friend. And like, he had just gotten back from like a rock climbing trip and, um, he drove some like vintage BMW motorcycle and all our friends had a party. He asked me if I wanted popcorn, which I still eat popcorn every night. <laughs> he asked me what I was going to be for Halloween that first night. And I was like, oh, this is perfect. Um, <laughs> And so I just never went and I never even called the newspaper and told them I wasn't showing up. I stayed, I got a ski pass. 
um, lived there for three years. Well, and, where did you live? You just moved there? You just kind of um, was on a couch for a while. And then there was this guy named Aaron and he worked in the oil fields of Driggs, Idaho. So he was home for three weeks and gone for three weeks. And so it was kind of like living alone, but it was like this gross place above a pizza <laughs> and it was like greasy and smelled like pizza. Yeah. And I could have as many milkshakes as I want. And <laughs> then I met um, a man by the name of Corby Skinner and he was the head of the National Endowment for the Arts for Montana. Mm. And I got a job teaching poetry in underfunded schools, which is like every school. Um, across Montana and Wyoming. And it was like one to four room schoolhouses. Wow. And I just drove for about three years, like random places in the winter and did residencies. And then from that was like, oh, I like teaching. And so that's how I got to go to grad school for teaching. And then we moved to Portland. For, so that's what I was going to like. Monta Montana is such an interesting place. And especially to be a teacher. I, so I was just out there last month for my first time and good right. thing. I, I, good, like, it's so beautiful. It's a good thing. I never went out there earlier. Uh, I, I wouldn't <laughs> yeah. have been, I, I wouldn't have been out in, on the East coast for sure. Um, I know like skiing in the back country when the pass opened and skiing all winter long. And it, it was so beautiful and mm -hmm. just backpacking and yeah. gorgeous. I loved it. Yeah. It was a good move. So, but the schools there, you know, the towns are so small. It's so remote. Uh, you know, how big were these classrooms you're teaching with? How many kids are in there? Six. K yeah. through eight. Uh, <laughs> Twelve. Yeah. Four. One of them was four. Um, but I loved it. And when I graduated, grad school was like, I did 52 credits in one year, which is just <laughs> insane with three internships. And then grad school was like, I don't know, 50 something thousand dollars for the year. And I wanted to move back to Montana. And some of the jobs were only paying $14,000. And it, I mean, even now it's paying mm -hmm. like 20. So couldn't. Yeah. It's too bad. Education isn't quite funded properly yeah. there. So we didn't move back there. And we decided we wanted a sailboat. And so that's how we got up in the islands. Mm -hmm. So. So you moved to Portland. Mm -hmm. What did you think about Portland? Well, I was really poor because <laughs> <laughs> I was in grad school. I worked um, year round in like the most, probably the lowest school in Portland public in Northeast Portland. Mm. Um, so it was just a community I had never been a part of. Um, and it rained like, I think it rained like 187 straight days. Like it was... <laughs> It was insane. And I think we did like five things because I was doing all those classes in one year. So the food was great. I went to concerts that were great. But as soon as I graduated, I had to get the heck out of there. Because yeah. um, I loved the bridges. I loved the neighborhoods. But yeah, I haven't really been back often. But. So, so you find your husband and... Uh can't wait to meet him one day. Uh, you guys will have a good time fishing. Yeah, just uh, seems like a great guy. But you meet him, you fall in love first time you see him. And 
you move with him to Portland. How do you end up on the island? How does his his skill set? Well, he was miserable in Portland. Um, he was watching like Oprah and like cooking, <laughs> which he like wants to be fishing and hiking. He was miserable. Mm-hmm. Um, and I got offered this great job in Portland, and he was like, "No." And we bought a trailerable sailboat that they had been using, and that him and his dad had been sailing in Fort Peck in Montana. Mm-hmm. And so we went on a trip all up around the Olympic Peninsula into a bunch of islands. And we had this rule where you couldn't talk about the town until we were through it because we were trying to decide where I should apply and where we should move. Mm-hmm. And we settled on Whidbey Island, which was like a, it's like a baby step to island life because there's a bridge on the north part. So it's not totally an island, you yeah. know. Um, and we lived there for five years. We got married, had two babies, restored an old Victorian home, and then just decided that um, where we were living, it was really conservative. And he worked sometimes hundred hour weeks because of the windstorms. So mm. he's a lineman, he does power. Um, and actually our friend, a really good friend, he volunteered for a fourth tour in Iraq because he was like ready to be happy and was gonna like get out of the Navy and open a scuba shop and couldn't wait. And he had a young son and couldn't wait to be with him. And he was killed in the Iraq war about three days after our second daughter was born. And it was such a wake up call because we were like, wait, we're living in this house like we picked it up, put a foundation under it, like mm-hmm. doing a roof, all of it. And we just decided that we needed to get out. And so we moved on to the sailboat with our two babies and kept coming back to Friday Harbor where I live now on San Juan Island for groceries. And everybody was so nice. And there were so many babies and there were so many families. And of course the power company was hiring and he got a job offer on the dock, like, <laughs> and then we called the person that was doing our roof was a friend of ours. And he's like, I want to buy it. And so right then and there, we like sold it and decided to move. It was before that housing crash of, was that 2007? Yeah. 2007, 2008. Yeah. Um, so like right before the market crashed, which mm. was great. <laughs> <laughs> and, yeah. So we've been here for 14 years now. Mm. Um, and it's just, it's so awesome. Yeah. Yeah. It's one of the interesting things about life. You know, I'm a stay at home dad right now in a basement in Philadelphia and I had no idea I would be here, but you're all the way out in the San Juan islands and you're making the most of it. Now, let me ask you this. When you were a child, you were on boats. You're feeling fine about the water. Surely had influence with your comfort on there. How have your kids adapted to island life? Well, um, we got rid of the sailboat because it just took too long to get anywhere. Like there's four ferry served islands uh-huh. and then there's like, there's 152 islands total, but probably like 10 other ones you'd want to go to. Mm-hmm. So we got a fishing boat um, so we could go places and the kids, we wanted them to learn how to sail. So I enrolled them in sailing camp and they hated it. <laughs> hated it actually one to quit like halfway through. Um, I wanted them to be on the sailing team. It's not going to happen. Um, and then we wanted them to like fishing and 
I don't. Um, but luckily we have one, maybe we had so many kids for that. Our third daughter is obsessed with fishing, shrimping, crabbing, all of it. She's 11 and she can dock the boat, like drives it. Um, it's a pretty cool fishing boat. And she like, like maybe I want to be a captain and a musician. So there's one. That's you know. awesome. but they like paddleboarding and we, um, there's a bunch of beaches to go to. So we go to the beach a lot. Um, but I don't think none of them are going to sail, unfortunately, but maybe yeah. I'll, I'll be a captain. She yeah. really likes it. And sometimes <laughs> it goes out and takes her like before work and they go fishing or something. But Yeah. So you have three daughters. At any point was your husband saying, can we just please try for a son one more time? Nope. <laughs> nope well he was just like yay they're healthy like girl dad all the way yeah i i am uh i'm such a fan of well just the way that your husband is with your daughters and the father-daughter dances and just yeah. the moment the moments those are are you know i don't i didn't we didn't have those as kids when i was growing no, up and and my daughter loves it and it's so uh <laughs> yeah it is it's adorable and you know we still have the cups from those dances five years ago you know the little plastic cups <laughs> it's a blast yeah I more than three kids like absolutely not like, yeah oh, i got three dogs now and i'm like boy four <laughs> four right. it's just brutal you know with two kids but how has uh you know having kids when we were in college was a frightening thing for for me to even think about because you had all these ideas on what you wanted to do where you wanted to go how you wanted to travel you know what your utopia was you're trying to build in your head i mean how did kids change you just to the core well i was teaching um a humanities class in a middle school and I loved it and was going back to school and was like, I think I want to be a principal or I want to be a curriculum director. And then when we started trying to get pregnant, I couldn't. Um, so I took fertility drugs with our first two kids. Mm -hmm. And it's amazing that once you decide you can't do something, like how badly you want it. Oh, you know? yeah. And so I was like, oh my God, I just, I want to be a mom. I have to be a mom. Mm -hmm. Like I'm so young. How could it be hard? Yeah. Um, and so when our first daughter was born, I had thought I'd take like three weeks off and then go back or six weeks off and go back. But mm -hmm. it was like, oh, I'm, I'm never doing that again. You know, like, <laughs> I'm never doing that. Like, I'm going to like sew their clothes and make their food and all that. And Olive, she's our third and she wasn't a fertility drug baby. And so it's kind of like, I think the moment that I told my husband we were pregnant, he was reading a book that was literally titled how to live on a family, how to live on a boat with two kids and sail around the world for $10,000 a year. And like I told him and the book just flew across the room. And so I guess, but now we have a magical third kid who wants to be a captain and fish and hike and, you know, so it's completely Yeah. Yeah. What was your childhood like? Would you say that your parents were involved with you? Are you as a parent mirroring what your parents did? How are you being different than how you were raised? It's an easy question. I know. Just 
Yeah. Uh, it's very different. <laughs> it's very different. Mm-hmm. Um, I guess there's still the spirit of adventure. You know, we like to travel and go places. Um, but yeah, it's pretty different. I just remember, I don't know, it was the 80s. Like I had, yeah. a, it was like a latchkey kid and mm. I had so much freedom in high school. My parents would like go away for the weekend and I don't know if they knew or not. And I'd throw a party every weekend. Like <laughs> My kids can't walk downtown. <laughs> Where are you? Oh, I so-and-so said you're with this person. And yeah, no, yeah. like, I know everything they do. <laughs> so that's probably the biggest. The great things that happened as a, as a parent were just letting the whole instincts that were inside of you take over. And uh, once I really embraced those and got over the fear of the knowing exactly where they are all the time is very important when you're in cities where, you know, when I was in Columbus. Right you know, everybody's got a horror story. And as a parent, you're going, those are the things you attach to everybody's opinions on, Hey, you got to do this when they're remember to do this for your kids. And I, it it went in one year and out the other. I just didn't really care for anybody's opinion. I just really enjoyed how the instincts and how much love I felt kind of. Yeah. I mean, there's rooms in our house that like don't have trim because we'd rather hang out, you know, (laughs) Or go do something fun or like go on the boat for the day um we mm-hmm. could redo the kitchen but it'd be better to go somewhere else you know yeah. <laughs> like yeah. that's also like a big difference i, I feel you know we're always choosing mm-hmm. to hang out rather than i don't know that like other adult stuff it seems yeah it's funny because once you have kids you find out you know how short it is yeah. And, then, and then you start really in your mind going, I can do all this. Stuff. I, you know, my kid that just tonight before we're recording, I, we have a yard. I made this great wiffle ball field, you know, with the fence and, you know, a home run sign up there for him and his friends to play with. And they, they pull out the slip and slides, you know, big tarps and they start pulling out the Dawn soap. And I'm going, you're killing all I mean, in my head. You're killing all the grass that I just planted there and fertilized. And cause I, I was mowing the lawn as he's doing this. And then I went, Hey man, it's going to be one summer. You don't have grass <laughs> for a little bit. Like there's going to be so much time when these kids are out of the house to, you know, have my little perfect yard or whatever I have. It's uh, been an eye opener, but let's move on because as kids change, you life change, you jobs change, you, you still have these dreams going on and you being a writer, how did you maintain your writing throughout post-collegiate life? Well, I worked for the National Endowment for the Arts and like did a lot of readings around the state in Montana as a poet. Mm. And then I started to realize I was like my dream job, but I made $10,000 a year, mm. <laughs> which is so funny. Um, <laughs> so then I went back to be a teacher and studied like how poetry um, can benefit literacy, I guess. And when I was pregnant, I, like I, I wrote, but not really for some time after grad school and teaching. Um, I guess when my youngest, yeah, 
So then we moved here and I got hired as a writer for the Centennial Stories Project for the island because the, the town was turning 100. Mm. And I had to study just like all these different islander um, stories and settlements and I don't know, just all this stuff. I was just living in the History Museum. Um, and I found the these audio recordings from the grandma of the last family to inhabit the lighthouse. There's a really cool lighthouse on the north end of the island. Oh, wow. And so I ended up writing a play about that, um, having never really written a play before. And that one got done. And then <laughs> next year, I thought... I wanted to be funny. And so I wrote this really weird play about a woman who gives birth on the ferry and it's delivered by like an East, somebody in an Easter bunny costume. It was like, like the weirdest <laughs> thing ever. It was good, but it was like, I don't, I don't, I don't think this theater thing's for me because <laughs> it was like almost inside joke with myself. Like, isn't this weird, you know? <laughs> yeah. Um, and then I started going to concerts and bringing our kids to concerts and was like god i miss music because you know in college like the house i lived in we threw the best parties with bands oh, and i was dying for it and i was sitting um listening to a midnight performance by a singer songwriter and i was just like i wonder how they write a song like do they come up with the music do they come up with the lyrics first and then i was like god i miss college and the funny thing is, is this is all recorded i like hit my crappy cell phone that I had at the time. So I have this audio recording where like, I'm sitting next to my husband, but he's like zoning out because it's like one in the morning and I was talking to myself. And like, I, I miss college. I'm, I miss my college writing groups. I want to start a workshop. I think, I think I'm going to start a workshop. I want that singer songwriter to come. And so I like got his email after the concert. And then that's how the writer's workshop that I run on Orcus started. Like in that very place, I was like, I want to come back here and run a writer's workshop. And I think I needed to have that happen because I needed that community so badly. I missed sitting in a room with people that maybe I wouldn't otherwise have met and to hear their stories and see if they were musicians or photographers or fiction writers or science fiction writers. Yeah. And so that's been an essential part, I think, for me. So it's called Right Doe Bay, correct? Mm-hmm. And this was started, not now that you're going into your... Well, it was started in 2014, but because of COVID, we haven't had a workshop since October of 2019. And so that was the 15th one mm-hmm. that we did. And there wasn't one in April, and there wasn't one in October, and there wasn't one in this April. That sounds like there can't be one this October. So we're shooting for spring of 2022. Awesome. Oh. Awesome. It's, that's the big story right there. That is the great thing that you've created yourself, right? Yeah. You, you needed something. You created the community. We've had over 550 unique um, attendees wow. for the meetings, which is like, so many different creative people from you know other countries even like just all over it's been really cool so what what, what's the what's the agenda then so they come in and what are we doing um well shared lodging so you're like 
summer camp style in a cabin with new friends. Love and I, I love fishing camp. Yeah, I like do so much private investigator work to see like, oh, this person loves cats and this person loves cats. <laughs> like they're gonna be roommates, and then they end up like going on vacation after it. Um, shared housing. All of our meals are shared with like local harvested ingredients or local salmon. Um, and so that's a big thing too, because I think when you really want to get to know somebody, you know, you sit down and have a meal with them. Um, so we mm -hmm. eat all our meals together. And then um, there's always four, like there's always a singer songwriter who's maybe they just put an album out, but it's been really neat to hear about everybody's process of how they create, how they got an album out, what they learned touring um fiction nonfiction, sometimes memoir sometimes poetry sometimes photography but my favorite teachers have been the ones that are like uh, i don't i don't know if i could teach there like i don't really know if i have like that much to offer and you know it's kind of putting them in that light where they kind of surprise themselves and then they they learn as much um from the process but then we also have these incredible people that are you know, New York Times bestselling authors or just really prolific writers in Seattle. And it's really cool to be able to like, you know, eat some like salmon curry soup with them and <laughs> ask them about their life. And, and then we have a big concert. And now that we're um, the uh, founder of Sub Pop lives on Orcas Island. He's, a, he's been our DJ and that oh, was God. childhood dream, you know, <laughs> as like 14, you know, he's got the coolest stories, of just all the, like the Seattle grunge scene, like yeah. just ask him. And so he DJs, we have a big dance party and have That's a key awesome. ceremony and it's super special and I miss it so <laughs> That's been the most depressing part of COVID for sure. Yeah. I just miss the people that I haven't yet met, you know, who will come to the next one. And we're trying to start an online thing and we're finally going to, but the whole reason I created it is because I wanted pen, paper, eye contact. I don't want to hear people typing on keys, yeah. you know, I don't want people to print something out. Um, and so it seemed to really go against to like meet people on like a zoom class, but it's been so long. I need to bring the people back. So, yeah. We're making plans for an online thing. Yeah, that's one thing you just discovered this last year was that uh, as painful as Zoom can be and as flawed as it is for podcast audio and everything else, it's yeah. I mean, we we still get to talk to one another. I mean, I haven't seen you in year decades. It's like uh, it's been a great thing for for my mental no, health. I'll tell you that. Too. You know, I think it's great though that you're starting this and and having a community that you can kind of fall back on. I mean, that's uh, what we strive to get, you know? Yeah. And then from like my interest in musicians and how they, how they craft their work, um, actually can't remember how I've been asked recently, but I somehow got into music photography Ooh. and um, that was really cool and another missing piece of COVID, but, and then started doing um some music videos and you know because that too is like how do we tell the story like mm -hmm. how do we tell a story when there's already like a song with a story going on in the background and that's been a really cool challenge i'm just really 
I, I say to my daughters all the time, like, you know, this, I always loved telling stories and I always loved music, you know, and I think I've always taken pictures. I, I remember being in the dark room up in Plymouth. And so it's kind of weird to sort of be doing the same thing, like yeah. spending all the time on an island and, you know, like sort of maybe I can grow up yet. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you're the cliche of, uh, not the cliche, the the uh, adage of, you know, if you, if you do what you love, you know, it's not yeah. about money, it's not work. It's, um, and it all makes sense, you know, everything that you're doing all makes sense. How do your kids... Are they participating in, in in any of these uh, writing sessions at all? Is this just for for adults? Um, I did a few write camps for kids in the summer, and those have been so fun. And okay. then um, I want to make that an overnight as soon as COVID's over. Um, so we had a really good time. And then I've done a lot in their classrooms. You know, when they were in like elementary school. Um, and I'm, I'm homeschooling our fifth grader this year. And so probably the best thing to come about is all the time that she's been able to spend yeah. writing stories, workshopping stories, you know, um, doing like, a, like the narrative structures of them and reading books and breaking them apart and like kind of plotting it out. Like what was the main conflict and um, what was the midpoint of the story? So that's been, that's been really cool. Um, it'll be neat to see where she goes with that. Um, she's definitely How is uh, how how is everybody on the island? How has COVID affected schooling for your kids specifically? Have you guys been all homeschooled? Have you had partial? You know, um, it's been on and off. How how have the kids handled the last year? Well, since March, it's been Zoom, and then. In September, I decided to homeschool our fifth grader because I had homeschooled our middle daughter for fifth mm -hmm. grade. So I already had all the stuff and it's such a fun year. Mm -hmm. um, and God, it wasn't until maybe March, they started going back like in this hybrid model of yeah. like two hours a day, four times a week. Like, I can't imagine what next September is going to be like. Like, hi, yeah. welcome. You're here five days, six hours a day. <laughs> It's going to be fine. <laughs> yeah. Um, and so that's where they're at now, but there wasn't really sports and it's, mm -hmm. it's still pretty tight, you know, like we're still all wearing masks in the County because um, all the frontline kids that are like checkers and hostesses, you know, they're not fully vaccinated yet. Mm -hmm. And so it's still, it still seems like a pandemic here for sure. Yeah. Yeah. It's unfortunate. You know, the thing about the whole COVID with the kids is, is something that how, how are they going to process this? My daughter right now at nine years old is she just hates COVID and she will just, you know, if she could swear in front of me, I'm sure she'd drop it because the way it has affected, well, the good things are she's learned how to type at nine years old. Yeah. Right. So the, the online stuff, but I mean, I, the requirements for the kids online with Zoom, if you didn't have a parent there to help them out throughout it, it was like, what are they doing? They all it was was frustration for months. Okay. And uh, and we moved to Philadelphia right okay. at the in March 1st, you know, and, and they had 10 days of class before, 
you know, they were in, and this whole hybrid situation is a little, it's a little funky for them, you know, throws them off a little bit because they go from school and then they come home and they're, Hey, I've done everything in, you know, in my two hours, uh, I don't have to do anything else now. You're like, what? Hey, wait a minute. Come on. Yeah, September's going to be brutal. Mm -hmm. I can't imagine. I'm really glad I'm teaching. They've done really well. And we had a tight little pod of people, families that we've been with, but um, yeah, it's a lot. It'll be nice when things open up more for sure. Well, like you said, live music. I mean, the, what we were exposed to in New Hampshire, Moonboot Lover is still on both this podcast and the uh, and the Acme Army Green Bay Packer podcast that I do. You know, it's uh, it's Moonboot Lover all the way. I've I would like to pull out the data from my iTunes to see how many times they've been played because it's uh it's been you know twenty twenty some years of just a love affair with how they performed. And just what was happening out there in New Hampshire was so different from, you know, when I went to college in Oshkosh, where it was just mainly frat parties or bar parties, anything else. Like there was, you know, the one, I don't know if you helped organize it with the, the White Mountain Boogie, the first one. Oh, yeah. Right? That yeah, was... I mean, and then nothing still to this day, nothing sounds better than taking all the furniture in my house, <laughs> putting it in our barn bringing in hay, padlocks on all the doors and having bands play in the kitchen. Like I still, that, <laughs> that yeah, just defined it. You know? mm. I love having musicians from Seattle come up and play in our house and it's the best. I mean, that definitely changed it for me. Yeah. So tell me what, what are some of the writing processes that surprised you from the singer songwriter perspective? Um, I guess that it's, it, it was just like my writing that all of the people that I've connected with that have come to write, um, you know, it's like auto fiction. Like it's, it's basically what's happened to them. It's like a disguised memoir. Mm -hmm. um, and so it's been really neat to hear the backstory, you know, of the breakup or the death or, you know, whatever it was that went into a hit song. Um, and I guess I didn't, for some reason, I didn't think that that would be the case, you know, that we're all really just writing about ourselves. And, um, so I think that's, you just feel so closely connected to it anyway, when you can relate to a song, but then when you know the story behind it, it's just like, oh, um, it's easy to get close to the creators of that. Yeah, that's great. Well, I think, uh, one of the best things about this show and uh, getting to see people like you is to see how far you come. And I am incredibly honored that you came on number one. And I hope that we can continue to stay in touch because I'm such a big fan. I mean, your life story is amazing. It's uh, if you have not ever heard of Jennifer Beck Ferber, um, Jennifer Beck back in the day, make sure you, where is your writing around? Do you have any that's out available? Where can we peek some of this writing? Because uh, it's it's no joke. I was well, I was a freelance writer for a long time. Okay, and, and I had a blog. And when I was freelance writing, I realized, oh my god, all this writing that I have to do is getting in the way of the writing that I want to do. Mm. Um, and so I put together a poetry collection, and then it sits in a drawer. Um, and then I started a memoir. 
and then that sits in a drawer. And now I'm like, I can see it. Like I can see myself like at readings, reading it. I'm writing a YA novel and I just feel like all of the work and the process of like the pre-writing and the structure and learning about querying agents and all of that stuff comes to the plate with this YA novel. Um, all three of my girls are such avid readers and I, they've, they've read the bookstores, they've read the library. And so I just wanted to write something that would surprise them. That isn't like a, a formula that they're already used to. And so hopefully that will be out soon. Like I thought, get some chapters done and send them out. And, Good. That's well, not really. <laughs> yeah. I just know, uh, I always thought you were on another level and I'm glad you're still doing it and I'm glad you're still putting your hat out there to make uh, everybody else feel the connection that you get when you see somebody else who's been through the things you've been through. So. That community is so important and it seems almost more so, um, not everybody, but a lot of the people who do come to write have families and, and, and careers and just mm-hmm. to carve out four days to take some time to just talk about what story you're really dying to tell and to have people listen to it um, is just profound. Like we all need that community. You know, I mean, we all have our like good friends and our support system and our families, but connecting on that level is so important because it without college doesn't, you know, there's not really the space for it or like live in a ski town or something. (laughs) But like a parent, you know, who's going to like the school board meeting or something. to talk about art that's awesome well let everybody know where they can get in touch with you and where they can sign up for write dough boy write dough awesome and then write dough on instagram awesome awesome well jennifer thank you for taking the time on a thursday afternoon to talk with me and i'm just a huge fan continue killing it (laughs) i miss you and we'll pay chess and uh, and uh, I'll take some fishing lessons from your husband. Um, I would love to, uh, boy, oh boy. But we have to get together with this Plymouth Day crew at some point because we are, you know. We're old. We're, we're 47 years old. I am. I mean, you know, you're younger. I'm I gray hair. Marinelli is coming next week to the island. Really? Oh. <laughs> and then we were like, God, I haven't seen you since. 1998. <laughs> <laughs> Is that a riot? I still feel like I'm a college kid. I'll tell you that. Mentally, like, I haven't. So let's meet for breakfast and see who goes. <laughs> it's crazy. It's been so long. But I can't wait to see her. It's been so yeah. long. Yeah, that's awesome. That's awesome. Well, thanks again and uh, continue being awesome. And we're going to have to, you know, regroup and touch base again see where you're at when you have new books and new great things coming out but with that everybody thanks for listening this has been episode four and this is just one of my favorite people jennifer beck ferber good to see you so that's when you found some new friends you're not the same
If you've made it this far in the show, reminder, go check out PeterPrinceMusic.com and get the whole catalog of everything Moonboot Lover and Peter Prince have done over their career. It is amazing. Appreciate you, Peter. Talk soon. <laughs>